All right, the, that opening video that brings us into this new series called I'm In um, is really trying to symbolize what we believe to be true here at this church. And that is that if you take a single briquette of charcoal and, and you try and do anything with it, um, you probably couldn't even cook a hot dog with a single briquette. It, it doesn't work that way. It has to come together with other briquettes that come together. And, and I know for me, I like to make like a little pyramid and I take my time and, and I actually love the charcoal grill. Has anyone done it inside of an oil drum? Is that something that someone's ever, and when you go to California, so Brad's raising his hand. We spend time living in Northern California and that's something that you do there is you get an oil drum and you make this big uh, pyramid of briquettes. And then when you light on fire, you get this amazing like tornado whirlwind going through there. And then we cook a tri-tip on top. My mouth's starting to water a little bit. And uh, my, our favorite one came from a place that had been open for over 100 years, multi-generational. And they had a Bloody Mary mix that was sealed around the tri-tip. And it was just amazing. And uh, we would have big events and fundraisers. And we would have maybe, you know, 20 of them and all these different guys show up their pickup trucks and oil drums and uh, welcome to the mountains of Northern California. So this whole idea that no one in and of themselves can be the one to make all the difference. In fact, as we continue to build into the staff here of the church, we constantly remind people that our belief as a church is that everyone gets the play, that we as leaders of the church, that we aren't the point guard, that we are like Gannon and MJ, we are the coaches. We are the ones that are trying to empower other people to be the best that they can be. Like Gannon teaches skills for basketball, we're trying to teach the skills that you need in life through a biblical perspective. And that's our job as leaders, is to give you all the opportunity to be who God wants you to be. Today, we're kind of going to open up by talking a lot about like the church, that we are in a place of change. That that's kind of why we exist as a church. This isn't a place for a concert, but a place to come, letting God be at work and change in you. There's a story of a Navy ship, and, and the Navy um, comes apart a uh, remote island, an uncharted island. And they see these like three huts there, so they send over a few boats, um, hoping to find some survivors maybe that are on this island. And they see one guy come out of one hut, and he goes, I'm so glad you guys are here. Uh, I've been alone for all these years. Well, they get a little uncomfortable. They say, well, what about the two other huts? What happened to those guys? He goes, oh, well, the first hut, um, that's my church. And they said, okay, what's the other hut? He goes, well, there were some issues. The other church, the other one's the church I used to go to. So the reality is any church that you go to is someone's third hut, right? It's a church that someone went to. It's a church that someone grew up in. Um, every church, you know, have had great things happen. Every church has probably had some bad things that have happened. That every church can be seen as this third hut. We share the idea often that there are no such thing as perfect churches because they're full of imperfect people. And there's a writer, uh, Mavis Williams, who does a great job of kind of penning this. It's a poem she wrote called The Perfect Church. If you should find the perfect church without one fault or smear, for goodness sake, don't join that church. You'd spoil the atmosphere. If you should find the perfect church where all anxieties cease, then pass it by, least journeying, let by joining it, you'd mar the masterpiece. If you should find the perfect church, then don't you ever dare to tread upon such holy ground. You'd be a misfit there. But since no perfect church exists, made of imperfect men, 
that's least looking for that church and love the church we're in. Of course, it's not a perfect church that's simple to discern, but you and I and all of us could cause the tide to turn. What fools are we to flee our post in that unfruitful search to find at last where problems loom, God proudly builds his church. So let's keep working in our church until the resurrection, and then we each will join that church without an imperfection. Just such a beautiful way of making us laugh, but also, you know, it, it kind of gets to you. You feel the challenge there as well. And I'm aware that some of us, we read the Bible and what is said, like, especially in church planting, when you go and like, I've been at conferences where, you know, it's like 40 church planters and we're all going through training. And so everybody always says like, oh, I just want our church to be like, what, the early church, right? You hear that all the time. We seem to go back to what it was like in the early church. And here's the truth that I'll share with you we pretty much read the only text that exists in Scripture that portrays an early church that was vibrant and healthy. And it happened like days after Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit broke through in incredibly powerful ways. Uh, there was a theologian who actually looked in the Bible, and his name was Walter Elwell, in case you're wondering. And he said that he found 150 times in the New Testament that the early church is being corrected by the church leaders. In fact, if it wasn't for the fact that the early church was messing up so often, our Bible might be a lot smaller. Almost every single letter was written for the purpose of correction into the church. Now, Philippians, you know, there's a lot of nice things they say about join Philippians, but when you look at most of what's written up in the Bible, they're actually correcting the early church. And so this whole idea that we can be a perfect church is one that um, really is a strive to strive for, but maybe not a realistic goal that we can be. If you don't know, um, you know, Melbourne's actually on a list across the country as one of the most de-churched areas in the country. People who grew up in church or maybe went to church in young adulthood and then have decided not to be a part of a church. And we totally get that, that there's people who don't know that they actually would fit in a church. Maybe they grew up in a church you had to be a certain way and they were like, well, I don't want to be a part of a church like that. And they don't know that they'd be welcome to come here wearing whatever they like and they can come here um, not because they're perfect, but because they need a savior. They don't know things like that. Um, maybe they were overwhelmed by a church experience. They were rejected by a church. Um, maybe they just saw failure in the church and they decided to completely walk away and we understand that. We know that churches have been full of hypocrisy from the very beginning. And I don't think that's going to change until Christ does come back and establish his church on earth as it is in heaven today. But because of that, we've also seen that church has been an incredibly heartwarming place. In fact, if it didn't have that hope to it, this would probably be a very empty room this morning. But you, like me, have probably experienced that a church can be a place of safety, a place of solace, a place of transformation a place of instruction, a place of encouragement and edification of our Lord. That we can, in fact, look at these verses in Acts 2 and see them happen on earth today, to giving us a little witness of what it might be like someday to worship with God in heaven. So the church, I will tell you, for me, has been an incredibly transformative uh, part of my life. 
that much of who I am today is because of the church. And you'd say, well, of course, you're a pastor. You know, but that's not always the case. Um, there's many pastors who didn't come to faith until later in life. But I will tell you for me, um, I was born and raised from a, a Catholic father. Um, if you don't know my full name, it's Kevin Patrick Diamond. Um, St. Patrick's Cathedral is at the corner of Kevin and Patrick Street in Diamond Square in Dublin, Ireland. So pretty Catholic root there, right there. But my mom was Baptist, and they felt like the way for a Baptist and a Catholic when to get married, it creates a Methodist. And so that's what they tried out early on. And I'm not against anything that I'm saying here, just part of the journey. Um, my dad found a preacher uh, through the radio that actually was just sharing the gospel in a way he had never heard before. He brought us to that church and really would declare that that was the first time he gave his life to the Lord. My mom, coming from her church, said she gave her life to the Lord every single week growing up but never went beyond that. And they found a church that didn't just teach a personal salvation through Jesus Christ, but also how to become a disciple of Jesus. It was called Grace Brethren. It was a church that even in the 80s um, was around 4,000 a week. And so it was a, a mega church before we saw so many mega churches. And Pastor Jim Custer was an amazing preacher that I got to sit in for much of my life. Well, then I got very involved in the Young Life Ministry, and that really was my youth group for most of my high school years. Um, going to Ohio State to be a part of that ministry as well. Um, and then I actually got hired to become a youth pastor at a Free Will Baptist church, which is a really different journey for me. Um, they're an Arminian perspective, so they have some different theological views um, that I probably would say clearly I don't agree with today. Like you can have the free will to lose your salvation, but it was cool for me to get a chance to challenge myself and see different perspectives. Then I became the IT administrator for Vineyard Columbus, which is a church of about 10,000. I got to run their IT department. Um, and then I went and worked corporately. It's, I'm not going to get into all that story. You can ask me more later. And then God clearly called us um, into ministry, and I quit the corporate world, got my first tattoo that says, send me, and said, God, I'm going to focus on serving you and, and not on making money. And, uh, and now I've been with the Evangelical Covenant um, which if you don't know, Rock Harbor is a part of, and that had, was with me for 10 years in Ohio, two years in California, and now four years here in Melbourne. And so I've been a part of this journey, and I've seen how the church has been so formative. I've, I learned how to read the Word of God. Pastor Jim was so good at that. Um, I, it was in worship that I learned to be in the presence of God, probably primarily some of my experiences at the Vineyard Church. And it was at the church that I felt accepted. It was at the church that I played baseball with my church team for much of my years growing up. Um, I got to go camping and go fishing and be around other young men and fathers who wanted to follow Jesus Christ. It was in the church that I discovered my life's purpose. It was in the church that I grew in my faith. In fact, I would say that who I am today is largely the result of the church experiences that I've had. It was a really good experience for me. But I know that for some of you, maybe you have had some really negative experiences. And I recognize that as we go into this lesson, into this series, that maybe you've been with a leader that was reluctant or unrepentant, that you've been through difficult situations, that we can see that people are resisting with the Holy Spirit as it's challenging in their own lives. Um, and I've experienced that alongside other pastors. But as we look at Acts chapter 2, we get a picture of what the church can be. We've actually been sharing these verses since our very, very first meetings as a church, that our very, very beginning, even before we did Sunday morning services, 
we will look at Acts 2 and say, this is the church that we can be. Uh, if you have your Bibles, just kind of turn to Acts 2, 40 through 47, so you have those verses as in front of you. The church is, a, is an exciting place. It's a place where sinners can become saints. It's a place where saints can grow in their faith. It's a place where we can, all can have an impact on the community in the name of Jesus Christ. But as we focus on this amazing event that really changed the world, we go from, what was it, 120 people in the church to it says in this chapter that 3,000 were added. I've been to a lot of church growth conferences, but I've never seen a church that grew in one day by 2,500%. And we can see that it was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's in your bulletin. Um, it's called Quiet. It's going to be in September. And we are going to have a night for our church, a Friday night, that we gather as a church, asking the Holy Spirit to have its outpouring on us through worship and prayer as we prepare for the next stages of our church. But I want to kind of look at this five-fold description of change that we see in Acts chapter 2 and how it can be true for us in our lives as well as for our church. The first thing, if you're taking notes, there's notes in your bulletin. We've got the app. You can take notes on the app and keep those notes as well. Um, the first thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Um, we need to note that a place for change is only done through divine work. It's done through divine work. I've mentioned numerous times already how present the Holy Spirit was in all of this, that God was at work. And through that, we see the blessing of this early church. In verse 47, it said, And the Lord added to the church, that it was the Lord that was doing the work. It wasn't because they had a really flashy uh, media campaign. It wasn't because, um, you know, Peter was this amazing theologian who had gone to seminary for years. He was a fisherman empowered by the Holy Spirit, but discipled by Jesus Christ. And through that, we see this church begin. In Matthew 16, Jesus says what? He says, upon this rock, I will build whose church? God's church. He says, my church. The church is Jesus's work. He's the one who does the work. It can only happen through divine work. He says, I will build my church. All true churches belong to Jesus Christ. It's his church. It's his idea. And he's the one who is actively building his church, bringing people and adding it to the church to be in relationship with each other through the Lord. Verse 41 says, um, those who gladly received his word were baptized. We see that one of the definitions of what it meant to be in the early church were those who received his word, accepted his grace, and were baptized in his church. And it's all happening. But the one thing I want you to see here is as we see this in the Greek that it was written, that when it says they were added to them, in my class they would have me describe the different um narratives that were happening, and the one is that this is in a passive language. Now, what's so important about knowing that the words they were added to them is in a passive language is that the power was coming from someone other than themselves. That's what the text is telling us there. The 3,000 souls that were added was not because of the early church. It was not because of the disciples. It was because that God was at work. That's the Lord that they're speaking of in those verses. 3,000 souls were added, not by their power, but by God's. The Lord added to the church, not by their power, but by God's. 
We go back and we see in chapter 5, um, we'll come back to 4, but if you look at chapter 5, verse 14, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Again, the work agent here was not the church, but it was God's divine work. Believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. They start off counting. It's like McDonald's, right? They used to tell us how many you know, hamburgers they have sold, and now it just says billions and billions served. And that's kind of what happens here. By the way, people say, why do we ever talk about numbers in the church? Well, apparently the, someone in the Bible cared because they kept track. It was 120. Then there was 3,000. Then we had 5,000 men that come later on in the book of Acts. Eventually, they give up counting and say multitudes were coming together. There's really a guess on this in case you're wondering. They think probably about 30,000 people became followers of Jesus before the persecution really began to flee the church and and push the church all around the different area. So about 30,000 people that were there. The Bible makes it clear throughout its different passages that God's the one that does the work of building the church. Romans chapter 8, verse 30 says, Moreover, whom he predestined, there he also called. Whom he called, those he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Those are some confusing words. Let me sum it up. God did the work. God's the one that justifies. God's the one that glorifies. God's the one that brings people to be saved. Jesus is the one who does the work. That we get to be a part of the team but God's the one doing the work. I get asked the question frequently, Kevin, why do you think that God asked you guys to plant a church five months before COVID shut down the country? And I've said this before and I'll say it again. I believe the reason why God asked us, Angie and I and our family, the bakers and others who joined to start the church when we did is because I know for a fact that a place in my life where sin can take hold can be in my ego and in my pride of my abilities of my ability to say, wow, look what we've been able to accomplish. But to be able to step back in the midst and understand this past three-year journey of what this has looked like, I can literally step back and it's easy for me to say, this doesn't make any sense. This was no strategy. This was nothing that we could do on our own, but this was the work of Jesus Christ. I said it many times, the fact that you guys are sitting in this beautifully air-conditioned room right now is because God was at work. Because we were at the beach, we were at the park, we were outside of the school. Anybody remember the day that we thought that we were about to have the rain completely blow us out of the pavilion and we saw the red cell split, go around and form on the other side of when Jenny was preaching that morning? Like we've seen God's miracles across this church. And so it's easy for us to declare and define the work that God is doing here. The fact that the Lutheran church invited us in and said, would you like to come and rent our space? All of this was the work of God. Uh, I, I wasn't sure if I was, when I was going to say this or how to say this, so I'll just say this now. We also celebrate that at 4.58 p.m. on Friday, we finally had both parties of the Lutheran church and our church sign the purchase agreement for Rock Harbor to buy the property that we're currently sitting on, and we praise God for that. A lot of little details will come out soon. Um, haven't had a chance to process it all yet, but there is a plan and we'll share more details here soon. Ephesians chapter two says, in you who he has made alive were dead in trespasses and sin. 
You see, this is the change work that God does. This is the divine work that God can do. If you want to know what God says about who we are without him, it says that we're dead. It says that we're completely dead. Now, you can be pretty injured. You could fall down riding a bike, and you could pick yourself up and go get help. You can be sick, and you can go get medicine, and you can help yourself. When you're dead, can you help yourself at all? No. And I think that's what he's trying to get us to understand here. We weren't just sick. We weren't just injured. We weren't just tired. We were dead in our sin, in our trespasses. And the only way to bring a dead person back is through divine work. That's how significant of a change God says that we need. As we were once dead, but we could be made alive in Christ. That God has the power to raise you from the dead. The second work is a double work. It's a divine work, yes, but if you're taking notes, it's also a double work. But God happens to use human instruments to do his work. It's a divine work, but he also uses us to do this work. If I can go back just two verses, the verse 38. Then Peter said to them, so who's the, who's the human that's at work here? What's his name? Peter, thank you. It's Peter. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. There's a double work there in the beginning to the end. Peter's voice, Peter's willingness, because there was a time that Peter wasn't willing. There was a time that Peter did deny. But now Peter is standing in front of everybody declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he's at work. Church doesn't happen without people getting here early and helping make church happen. We don't just show up on Sunday and all this stuff just happened. No, he uses people that are setting up rooms, people that are hanging up curtains that make you feel welcome. We are using this place to prepare for the children's ministry. We're practicing the songs that we sing. We have humans that are at work serving God. But it says at the end that God will call. That we understand each and every single week that God is at work in this, that God is a part of this, but it also so are we. So that's how we declare that it is a double work. We see evangelism happen in these different ways. If you want to know our definition of evangelism, I think it's going to be on the screen. Evangelism is the intersection of divine transformation and human proclamation. That if we want to share the good news of Jesus with our community, it requires that we go and do something, but it also requires for God to do what we cannot do. God opens up doors. God softens a hardened heart. God does things that we can't do. And then ultimately, God's the one that paid the price through Jesus Christ on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. We see this happen in a few ways. We see personal evangelism. We see that one-on-one. -on -one. It's a conversation. It's when you meet a person at a grocery store. It's when you are at lunch with a family member or a friend. The conversation begins to talk about spiritual things. It's with your a coworker, or maybe you're even at the gym. And you take these opportunities to share about Jesus in your life. We see in Scripture that Jesus would share one-on-one -on -one with the woman at the well so she would feel welcome. We see Philip, um, who's talking to an Ethiopian eunuch, and he asked the questions of, do you understand the scripture that you're reading? 
he begins to teach him and guide him. We see that God works through us individually in your conversations. We also see God at work in mass evangelism. And I'm so thankful for mass evangelism. I've already shared that my father, through hearing a man preach through the radio, had his life completely transformed. But his father, about 10 years later, was watching Billy Graham on TV, one of his last live televised um, campaigns, and gave his life through watching on TV. We see that this still happens through mass evangelism. Peter in Acts 2, he's doing this right here in this text. He's preaching to the crowd. There's 3,000 who give their lives to the Lord. He's preaching to a whole lot of people. That there's times that we do things in mass evangelism. In Matthew 11, Jesus spoke to a crowd. He said, come to me, all who are labor and heavy burden. He's speaking to the mass crowd. Again, in Athens, we see Paul preaching to the open market. In fact, it's when he's in Ephesus that he speaks to a theater that we have found today that would have held 25,000 people. Just imagine 25,000 people, no PA system. Just this huge marble that they built behind him at a crescendo so that when he would speak, his voice would be echoed across the marble and everybody would be as silent as possible to hear what this man had to say. And thousands came to follow Jesus to that day. I've already mentioned today we have Billy Graham. We stand on the likes of John Wesley and George Whitfield, those who have gone and just been evangelists, sharing the good news of Jesus. But the third that we are talking about today is through local church evangelism. That we see that God defines this in Scripture as a part of his foundation. That this is part of God's plan for people to be part of edifying and praising God. That it's a place that we can not just get saved, but a place that we can mature and grow, go from a child to an adult, as the, the dolls reminded us this morning. But that's the real thought behind this text. We're not just trying to get people saved, but we're trying to bring people into relationship with each other as we go into relationship with God as well. So this room of 120 people, about what we have in here probably right now, went out and completely changed the world. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. There's a loud rushing sound. Everyone comes to hear what God is doing. You see, that's the place that we can be together. We can be a place where people hear that God is doing amazing works and they want to come see what God is doing here. But I find the fact, I, I love the fact that this year, we may have a building for the first time ever to do a Good Friday service and we're not gonna do it here. We're gonna do it at Paradise Beach because we don't wanna be a church that just hides within our walls, but we bring the good news of Jesus outside to where our friends and family live. You see, we wanna be a worshiping community, but we also wanna be a witnessing community that our worship should lead to our witness and that our witness should lead more people to worship. And that worship should lead more people to witness and that witness should bring more people to worship. It's a double work that God can do. And it happens by invitation. Don't ever underestimate the power of an invitation. The power of you inviting people to come hear what God is doing. Uh, there's all kinds of stats on this, but I'll share this with you real quickly. You, you ask people, why did you come to a church? 6% would say because they like the pastor. So just so you know, it's not that many people. That's not why you're here. I know that. It's okay. 
There's like 14% of all these other tiny little care, uh, categories. And then 79% say because they were invited by a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor. That's why they came to church. Don't underestimate the double work that God wants to do through you. That you're not alone when you invite a person to come. We have invitations out there for Thrive, the women's event. On the back, it says you've been personally invited by so you can sign your name. And if you're willing, maybe your uh, cell phone number. Say, hey, I'd love for you to come. If you have any questions, text me. You see, that's what makes people feel welcome to come be a part of what God is doing. That God comes and he's a part of what you are doing. He's with you in that. Some people would say, well, I don't like that whole like organized religion stuff. Tell them our church isn't that organized. <laughs> We're not even three years old yet. You should meet my pastor. He's all over the place, you know, and maybe that would make him feel better. I don't know. I don't know. The third thing is that God wants to do a directional work in us. At verse 47, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You see, this is the relationship of the church and the saved. He added to the church those that were being saved. They didn't just come to Christ. They didn't just get added to the Lord. But God intended for them to be in relationship with each other in his local church. Salvation and church. In this early, early church, we always say, let's try and be like the early church. And the early church, the two went hand in hand. They got saved and they joined the church. And I know when I say those words, we're taking it from a 21st century perspective. And you're saying, well, Kevin, is that really what we mean by church today? And maybe not exactly. But we know that God wants us to not be alone in this. He wants us to come together. The reason why I've been a part of so many different churches and I stand with the covenant today, my seminary was through the covenant, because I've seen a denomination that says, look on the back of the bulletin. That's our doctrine. Those are our affirmations. That we believe you must be saved in Christ. We believe that you must allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. We believe that we must have a conscious dependence upon the Holy Spirit, a fellowship of believers, that we want to be committed to the whole mission of the church, and that we have freedom in Christ to disagree in a whole lot of areas. That's the foundation for this church. And that's why I've gone all these different backgrounds and I've chosen to stay in this one. It's because we can all come in from all our different perspectives and we can even disagree on some pretty important areas. But we all know that we need saved by Jesus Christ and we need his Holy Spirit to be at work in us. And we can stand together on what matters most. And that's what it means for us. You see, I'm gonna say this lovingly. And I know that you're in church, and so I'm literally preaching to the choir. But when you hear people, and maybe you've been through these moments where you feel like you just want to give up on the church, here's my encouragement to why we collectively should never give up on the church. And just to be honest, I've worked in a lot of church staffs. So if you want to know the inside truth of like why you should never go to church, I probably know it. I've probably seen it. Like I've seen stuff that's not healthy. The reason why I won't ever give up on the church because when I read scripture, I have no doubt that Jesus Christ is not giving up on the church. And if Jesus Christ is not going to give up on the church, then either will I. And I'm committed my life to be a part of serving the church as a full-time vocation. And I'm so thankful that so many of you, even though you work other jobs during the week, you've committed to not giving up on the church either. That you're committed to being a part of what God is doing in this church.
You see, Jesus said, I will build my church. It's his church. It's not my church. Over the next few months, we're going to really make sure it's not my church. Here in about a month, we're going to have the opportunity for the first time for people to become members of our church so that we purchase this property. It won't be my church at all, not even legally my church, but it will be the members of Rock Harbor Church and their elected leadership team that will have authority over me as we go into this next step. It's God's church. It's not my church. It's his church. And the best way that we can do that here on earth is by having the body of Christ represent that together. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I am writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of truth. You see, the number one affirmation on our list that defines who we are as a church is centrality of the word of God. It's number one on our list for a reason because that's how we get our definition of salvation. The word of God will always be the pillar that we use to instruct and teach our church. And through that, we believe that God is at work. It's amazing how this convicts people in so many ways that we understand that God is at work in this. You see, God loves his church. God loves it when we serve in his church. The fourth work, we went from a divine work, a double work, a directional work, is that it's a developing work. It's a developing work that we grow, that we mature, that you make an impact. We don't just come here to receive, but we come here to be a part of what God is doing. It says in scriptures, we look down here at verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. Have you noticed that we've prayed a lot in our service today? We've added a few more minutes to the service because of that. I love that. I love that when you come to church here, you can know that we are going to intentionally be covering almost everything we do in prayer. That we pray for people going to visit the Middle East. We're praying for the leaders of our church. We're praying for God to be at work in this service. I appreciate the fact that so many times the worship team does mention me in prayer when they're closing out worship as I prepare to get a chance to share God's word. That God is at work in all of this. That when we come to church, that we know we're going to be together in prayer. That you know that you are welcome to be here and to be in his presence. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. That is the truth that they were teaching. They were teaching God's word. They were caring for the church. They were bringing that word, one of the few words that you know if you are around church in Greek, and that's koinonia. The idea of fellowship together and breaking bread. And next week, we knew this week was a pretty full week with some extra stuff. Next week, we are going to come together at the table and receive the Lord's Supper together. You see, they were a generous church. They cared for all that were in need, and no one went without. And lastly, the fifth and the final thing is that it's a daily work. Hear this in verse 47, praising God, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church every single Sunday. It's not what it says, is it? Daily. People are coming to Christ daily. Those that were being saved were happening daily, literally day by day by day, because they were living it out in every single part. 
that being a part of a church is not just being a Christian on Sundays, but on Sundays, this is the day that we get to have our pep talk. This is the day that we get to hear from God's word what the game plan is for the week, that this is the day that we come together so that we can go and be a part of what God is doing each and every day. And like I said, I'm so thankful that this is happening through our church, and that we see that God is going out and that everybody is wanting to come together to see God become famous. That's what we're here to do. We're here to brag about Jesus. That's how we declare hallelujah, is we tell people about his mighty acts. We tell people about what he's done on earth as it is in heaven, and we let them know that you can know God in the same way that we do. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful that you're in charge of this church. God, I'm so thankful that you're the one that can bring people to you. But God, I'm so thankful that you're doing a double work, that God, that you want us to work in that. Lord, I pray that this church can be a place of change. God, I pray that lives are changed. I pray that attitudes are changed. I pray that destinies are changed. I pray that marriages are changed. I pray that our culture around us is changed and challenged by the word of God. God, I pray that discouraged people can cheer up. God, I pray that dishonest people confess up. God, I pray that maybe a, a sour person here can be sweetened up by you. God, I pray that anyone who came in here with a closed heart can be opened up to you. Uh, God, I even pray that any gossiper in our church that maybe you could help them shut up sometimes. Because God, we want to be a place where everyone is welcomed. God, fire up the lukewarm. God, and most of all, I pray that we lift up Jesus in all that we do. That God, we want to be a part of his change. God, I thank you for this incredible work that you've been doing. It's an exciting moment that we've got a chance to experience in so many ways, being a part of this church for the past few years, we've been able to just see your Holy Spirit lead us. And yes, I remember when I would make plans, A, B, C, and D, and we got to J and I stopped. And now we just trust you with that next step. And God, maybe there's a person here who's going through the same thing. God, maybe they're feeling the same presence that God, they're just, they're trying to do their plan and they're not letting you be in charge. So God, here we are 2,000 years later from this moment. But yet we still get the opportunity to proclaim by human lips the power of transformed life for Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for this. Lord, I pray for anybody who might be here, maybe invited by a friend or a family member. Maybe they just happen to come in. Maybe they've been coming and wondering. And God, I pray that today, that they would personally surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. Peter, in that message that led the 3,000, said, repent, which means turn around. Go a different direction than you've been going. Repent and receive salvation in Jesus Christ.